I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning uh, because I just got back from Dallas. I actually going to I'm going to give you a partial presentation of uh, what we did down there. Again, uh, I encourage you if you enjoy a little bit of scholarship as well as preaching at the same time, the Pre-Trib Research Center, uh, led by uh, now most of you know who Dr. Uh, Tim LaHaye is, wrote the Left Behind series. That group was basically started by him, Tommy Eisen, and Ed Heinsen. Uh, Ed Heinsen and Tommy, uh, or and, uh, Tim LaHaye, of course, have gone home to be with the Lord. Uh, Dr. Ice is still doing well. He actually was not doing well a couple of years ago, went through some serious surgeries, and uh, is doing much better now. So uh, I love him. He's a great guy. His wife, Janice, uh, just great people. So the, uh, we had about uh, 320 people were at this particular conference, and uh, the whole thing is always on something dealing uh, with dispensationalism, and uh, it, it's beginning, as we've stated before, there's people are going away from the literal interpretation of Scripture to allegorizing and spiritualizing it, and even in good Christian churches, that's becoming the norm today. And, uh, of course, uh, we, uh, we're standing firm on, uh, on literal interpretation along with contextual, historical, and grammatical interpretation. So we want to get it right. Uh, we don't leave it open to speculation and, well, it could mean this or, well, it could mean that. No, what God said, God meant. And uh, there's only uh, one specific, thank you, sir. Actually, if you want to put those in the back and if anyone else is coming in, thank you, sir. Uh, we want to get it right, make sure it's right. So uh, I'm going to skip through all the book stuff, which, of course, is part of the commercial when you're speaking publicly. Uh, but here's what I uh, started with, and here's another thing, because we have so many folks that are there that are traveling. There were probably 100 pastors there. And uh, I like to start with this particular concept, and... You say, well, why do you want a picture of you and your wife up there? Because I want a picture of me and my wife up there. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the reason why. We have people that are itinerant pastors, preachers, uh, conference speakers. And I know everybody doesn't have this luxury, but it's like I don't go anywhere without Valerie. And uh, you say, well, why? Seriously? In today's society? Uh, we don't we don't need allegations and this and that. And it's like you know the one thing they'll they'll never be able to accuse me of. And, and see, I got two things going for me. I got Valerie and I'm ugly, so it's good. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much. God bless you too, friend. Yeah. I always like to set people up to ruin myself, but anyway. Uh, but uh, Valerie and I, and it's true. I do basically everything with her. So. Again, and this is, uh, I don't think I've even ever done this here, most everybody around the country and when we were traveling, uh, they know, you know, if you don't recognize him, Sheriff Clark on the right there, I worked for, under him for 15 years, and uh, then after uh, Sheriff Clark basically resigned to take a position in Washington, uh, is when I took his place as I uh, was the uh, constitutionally in Wisconsin, the undersheriff automatically takes the sheriff's position, and then there's a vetting process that goes through the governor's office, 
Uh, there were 18 other people that wanted my job, and uh, fortunately, Governor Walker allowed me to stay in and uh, fulfill uh, Sheriff Clark's term. So uh, that's just a little bit about that. Uh, again, this is what I would do in conferences because it helps people connect a little bit. So uh, I was, uh, again, the sheriff from 2017 until I retired in January of 2019, and uh, it was a good run, but that's really not what... Uh, what it's about. That was just a something, if you will. It was wonderful, and it's given us a lot of opportunities, including yesterday. Uh, we were at a political event, and uh, actually Judge uh, Darrell, what's, what's the first name? Jennifer. Jennifer. Uh, Darrell was there and uh, got to meet her, spend a little time with her, and uh, I, I was impressed. Uh, she she started out basically giving a testimony, and I, I couldn't, I don't know 100% that she saved, but she talked about how every morning she gets up, she gets her Bible out, gets her coffee out, and spends some time with the Lord, and I was just impressed by that. So um, anyway, uh, I would not have those opportunities to, to meet people like that in government-type things with, without the connection to the sheriff's office. I uh, always started when I was when I was still serving with the sheriff's office, and then um, when I bring that particular piece up, I always put this up on the screen. It's the First Amendment of the Constitution. I've said many times here that uh, you say, "Well, uh, the, the big issue is the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms." Well, it's a, it's certainly an issue in our society today, but it's not my issue. I'm not worried about uh, as I have no concern about carrying a gun as much as I do about the First Amendment. Now, we're all for the Second Amendment, so don't misunderstand me. But that's not what controls what I do. The First Amendment controls what I do. What does it say? Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. What does that mean? It means that a government official can't walk up into an assembly and say, all right, we're starting the first church of Congress today, or the first church of whatever, uh, the, uh, as a government religion. Can't do that. That's against the Constitution. So all that's stating in the Constitution is the government can't establish a religion, period. Now, here's the problem that we have with church and state issues. You say, well, when you were sheriff and in, in public service, did you have the right to talk about Christ according to this I don't think so. Well, think again. You absolutely have the right to talk about whatever you choose to talk about. If you're not establishing a religion, that's not an issue of church or separation of church and state. In other words, can I, can I, if I chose to pray, can I pray? Sure. If I want to talk about Christ, can I talk about him? Absolutely. Now, if you're not, if you're not establishing a religion, this is my, and you say, well, where do you get that from? Well, let's go to the next line. Uh, in other words, Congress, uh, the government can't establish a, a religion, but you can't prohibit the free exercise thereof. In other words, when uh, no matter where you are, you have the right to tell who you are and what you believe in, whatever that is. Now, as Christians, that means I don't care where you go, where you are, there is nothing in the law that says you cannot talk about Christ. Now, there are those that will try to slant the law that way. There are those in, uh, and excuse the term, but then uh, liberals that will attempt to persuade you that it's illegal to talk about the Lord if you're uh, in any kind of a government position. That's not true. 
You can't establish a religion, but just as you want to talk about your paganism, I have the right to talk about Christianity. And that's, that's the Constitution. Uh, not abridging the what? The freedom of speech. So take that seriously. When people say, ah, oh, you can't do this and you can't do that, make them prove it because it's not provable. You have a right to say any place in this country exactly who you are in Christ. Now, are you going to get pushed back? Yeah, you sure are going to get pushed back because there's a lot of people that don't like what we believe. They don't believe in Christ. They don't believe in salvation by grace. And you're going to get pushed back, and they're going to threaten you, and they may even sue people. But the bottom line is they're going to have a real hard time proving in court the opposite of what uh, the Constitution states. Freedom of press, well, that's a whole other can of worms right now because when the money controls the press and the money happens to be those that are non-Christian-oriented, the freedom of press exists, but if you don't have the money, to, again, you've got to have the money, you've got to have the power and the stations and all of that. So media is tough, but it's still freedom of the press. You can say what you want. By the way, if everything that... Uh, uh, and I'm getting a little cynical here for a moment, but if you if you happen to turn on some of the, and again, we just have to be straightforward, there's no better word to use, if you turn on the liberal uh, uh, media and you're listening to their newscasts, how much of that is true and how much of it is false? And what happens? I mean, what, what's the consequences for lying in the media telling stuff that isn't true? Well, they keep getting away with it, and they're going to keep getting away with it because whoever holds the purse strings holds the power. And uh, unfortunately, conservatives do not have the purse strings or the power when it comes to that type of thing. All right, so freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble. And of course, uh, we brought this up a week or two ago, uh, school board meetings and uh, ones that happened recently in Wauwatosa, just a little bit north of us here in Milwaukee County. And uh, uh, parents stand up and they take a stand against some of the uh, teaching that's going on. And I don't even know if you call it teaching. I'll call it more brainwashing of telling uh, uh, first and second graders and kindergartners that they need to reconsider if they're a male or a female and uh, consider changing their gender and uh, gender equality for everybody and their, their sister and brother if you can figure out what a sister or a brother is. And uh, uh, it, it gets ire, and uh, people push back strongly against those things, so it's a problem. All right, so I went a little bit more in depth than I did, but uh, uh, the conference this uh, past week was on standing firm in turbulent times. Now, again, this is a more of a scholastic group. Uh, they, you've got some of your top uh, minds that are at this particular convention, and they try and give you some... Uh, very deep things that would probably, if I preached like that here, uh, the church would have about 10 people after about a month. But for pastors and preachers and individuals that are trying to get things as depthy as possible so that uh, we can teach properly, that's what takes place. All right, so what I'm going to do, and we've talked about this verse before, but I'm going to kind of give you the same little bit of the intro I gave there, and then we're going to go into... Some areas I didn't go there in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. So as a reminder, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. 
So the big issue here, and this, this is where I get into the quote-unquote little bit of scholarly concept, what are we talking about here about the last days? So most of us, when we think about the last days or the end times, we think of it in, and I'll give the big word, from an eschatological standpoint. Eschatology means the study of the last days. Well, it's even interesting that in this verse it says, but know this, that in the last, and the Greek word there for you Greek scholars happens to be eschatos, same one that's used for eschatology. But what is the last day being spoken about here? So the last days there will be perilous or dangerous or hard or difficult or treacherous times or seasons will come. Well, what's the Apostle Paul referring to there in context and what was he talking about? So the big challenge is, who is Paul addressing? What did this concept of the last days mean? So that is the, if you will, from the fancy term, that is the exegetical challenge to make sure we get that right. All right, so uh, I know many of you have heard Andy Woods, Dr. Andy Woods. He's on BCY with uh, Brandon House on uh, Fridays and other programs that occasionally he does. Uh, so Andy was there, uh, but I, uh, he had not written on this subject, but I, he's got a nice website. I went to some of his sermons and pulled out some of his things. Now, Andy Woods just was placed as the chairman of the Pre-Trib Research Center. Tommy Ice is still the director, but Andy Woods is the um, chairman, if you will. So it's always good to quote the chairman when they agree with you. So I did. Here's what uh, Dr. Woods said. Now, what are the last days? Many people think, well, this is the seven-year tribulation period in the millennial kingdom that follows. The tribulation period is related to God's program with Israel. This is, and I'm talking about uh, 2 Timothy now, this is a church-age letter written by Paul to a pastor. Paul is not talking about the tribulation period in the millennial kingdom that follows. He is talking about what is going to happen as the church age reaches its conclusion. All right, and uh, he has one more statement here. Uh, this is from Mark Hitchcock. Now, Mark Hitchcock's also on the board of the Pre-Trib Research Center and uh, at center, and uh, he made this statement, and again, I, I love uh, Mark Hitchcock. Many of you, I've encouraged you to get, uh, or I've given you the book called The End. It's a good-sized book. It covers, uh, if you will, uh, the end times in great detail. It's called The End by Mark Hitchcock. I, I told Mark, I said, I, I think I've sold more of your books than you've sold yourself, uh, because I do push it. But here's what he said about the last days. When talking about the last days and end times, we have to distinguish between the last days for the church, which we are in now, and the last days for Israel, which is still in the future. When we talk about the end times, we are referring to all the events beginning with the rapture all the way to eternity. Thus, the end times include, and gets the difference now, the words end times versus last days. Thus, the end times include the rapture, which ends the last days for the church and the last days for Israel, which follow the rapture. Moving into the New Testament, the term last days refers most often to the last days of the church and the church age. And he puts the passages down, including 2 Timothy 3.1. So the premise is that what is, is going to happen, the closer we get to the time when the rapture is going to take place, which could happen today, could happen any moment, there are zero signs that must take place for the rapture to take place which, of course, is the home going of all God's people. 
So, and uh, we've been through this many times, so I'm not going to belabor it, but uh, of course creation, according to Exodus 20, 11, uh, six days God created everything. And again, to prove that, Genesis 5 and 11 has the genealogies with the uh, years given, so that's how we come up with the 4,000 B.C., so what we're looking at here then is as we get closer, closer, closer to when Jesus Christ is going to come in the air in the clouds to take one generation of Christians home, the things that we're going to look at now, which are in your study sheet that, we, that I handed out, those things will be in play. Now here's the interesting thing. When you look at the 19 different things that the Apostle Paul says will take place in the last days, this stuff has been going on probably for the last 2,000 years. So it's, it's, it's not like, well, you know, there's going to be this very specific sign. It's talking about culturally how are people responding to the Lord? How are they responding to others? How is their attitude, if you will, towards others and towards God? That's what we see in these first five verses. So the contention is then that 2 Timothy 3.1 fits right in right before the tribulation time and folks as we go through these and I'm not sure how far we'll get today because there's 19 specific things uh, that we'll be looking at and we'll skip that because you folks are familiar with it I'm going to read this one I usually don't do this but I'm going to read a little bit of a section that I read there and you'll find this uh, in one of the sections of the book on globalism but I think this will give you an idea of why we're looking at the global picture, which, of course, is going to happen. Again, if I ask the question to you, can you prove from the Bible that there's going to be a one-world government, a one-world economy, and a one-world religion, where would you go? Revelation chapter 13, it spells it all out. I mean, it's not allegorized, it's not spiritualized, it's just absolutely poured out there. But here I want to, I'm just going to read this. Uh, it's, uh, hopefully it'll make you think for a minute. What I'm going to do is read about what is, what is our perception of what is going to take place, if you will, in the last days. So what constitutes perilous times in the last days? The Apostle Paul reveals several issues in 2 Timothy 3 that point directly to perilous times, which could also be translated dangerous times. Consider the following topics that continue to shock not only the Christian community, but also conservatives who may or may not embrace a biblical worldview. Does a worldwide reach of the COVID-19 pandemic and the historic global changes that resulted from it constitute the advent of perilous times? Are the volatile issues of gender identity and gender fluidity, including the propagation of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, and asexual lifestyles indicators of perilous times. The mainstream media, public schools, government officials, businesses, and activists across the United States and around the world aggressively promote the normalization of these constructs which are antithetical or opposite to God's created order and design for marriage. Is lawlessness a sign that we are in the last days? Consider the lawlessness that currently exists in the United States, where the criminal justice system often fails to hold criminals accountable for their crimes against people and property. Consider the following factors that contribute to the rise in lawlessness. 
Liberal judicial systems criminally charge a minimal number of actual offenders with a crime. District attorneys often defer prosecution, which means the judicial system will not, at the present time, hold the criminal accountable for the current offense, but the offender might be held accountable for the current crime if arrested again. Judges assign little or no bail, which expedites the release of serious offenders from jail and back to the streets. Courts impose minimum sentences for criminal activity. This action not only fails to deter criminal activity, it invites it. Are the wars currently taking place around the world evidence that the last days are upon us? Does a current war between Ukraine and Russia and the positions of China, Iran, Syria, Turkey, and the United States point to the perilous and dangerous times referred to by the Apostle Paul? Many Christians around the world are suffering horrific persecution to the point of incarceration and torture. Vigilantes burn their homes down. Churches are destroyed. Unconscionable crimes are committed against women and children. And thousands are literally murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ by brutal and degenerate people. Folks, that is happening now. The World Watch List tracks the 50 countries that have the highest rate of persecution against Christians. Though America does not fall into this category, the following worldwide persecution statistics should garner the attention of every believer in Jesus Christ. While persecution against Christians takes many forms, it is defined as any hostility experienced as a result of identifying with Jesus Christ. From Sudan to Afghanistan, from Nigeria to North Korea, and from Colombia to India, followers of Christianity are targeted for their faith. They are attacked. They are discriminated against at work and at school. They risk sexual violence, torture, arrest, and much more. In the first nine months of the 2022 current stuff, World Watch List reporting period, there have been over 360 million Christians living in places where they experience high level of persecution and discrimination. 5,898 Christians killed for their faith. Now I stop here for a moment. 5,898. Why would we get that specific? Why would we nail it down to the actual literal number instead of rounding it off to 6,000 or another number? Well, here's why. If one of those 5,898 people was your mom, was your dad, was your child, was your friend, was a missionary you cared about, would you want them to be represented? Of course you would. And in America today, we've gotten so caught up in statistics that we often forget about the individual. Every single individual is a soul for whom Christ died, and we need to care about them. So I like when they get specific on the numbers. 5,898 Christians killed for their faith. 5,110 churches and other Christian buildings attacked. 6,175 believers detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. And of course, we're talking on a global scale now. 3,829 Christians abducted. Does this horrific treatment of Christians constitute perilous and dangerous times? Is the globalist alarming rhetoric regarding climate change or global warming and the changes implemented to address it a sign that we are in the last days? 
The United States stopped the Keystone Pipeline that once provided the means for energy independence from other countries. But now America must once again rely on hostile countries to provide the resources necessary to, to supply its people with the fuel needed to function, with this fuel costing a significantly higher price than it produced at home. Does this lack of energy independence, skip ahead here, does this lack of energy independence and seeking of help from other nations point to the scenario of the last days? Is the government and secular educational push for the critical race theory and once again heightened racial tensions in the United States of America, resulting in protests, riots, destruction of property, and even the loss of life, does this constitute the perilous times the Apostle Paul referred to? I stopped here for a moment, and I'll say the same thing here. I'm a little bit older than a good portion of you, a little younger than a few. When I went to Bible school in the 1979 through about 1981, I had two roommates. One was Ed Ankton, the other was Gerald Perry. They both had a much, much better suntan than I have. In other words, they're black, African-American. They're my best friends. I got in trouble because I cut up with them in church <laughs> at times. I loved them, good friends. If you looked at the screen a few minutes ago when I put up who I worked for and loved and cared about for 15 years, Sheriff David A. Clark, he also had a significantly better suntan than I had. You say, well, what's the point? The point is this. I didn't realize until all this stuff about the critical race theory started coming out that we had such a problem with people that I loved and cared about and I had no idea that I wasn't supposed to like or that they shouldn't like me because of whatever. You say, well, why do you say that? I, and, and I make it very clear. I don't really care what somebody's skin color is. I just don't. I don't care. You know what I care about? <laughs> I care about this. Are you going to heaven when you die? I mean, that's the... Jesus didn't come down here, who happened to have been brown-skinned Hebrew, didn't come down and say, well, you're a white guy from, from uh, Wisconsin. We don't care about you. He cared about white folks, red folks, brown folks, black folks. And uh, yes, I understand the problems of the past. I understand some of the things that still exist today. But it's like, don't tell me uh, uh, that I didn't love these guys, that I didn't serve them wholeheartedly, and I could have cared less what their skin color was, and I, and I honestly feel that way. And I know most of you do, if not all, as well. Is the rise of Marxism, which is, the, oh, I missed one sentence, is the significant rise in socialism around the world, and now at an extremely accelerated pace for implementation in the United States of America, does that constitute perilous times? Is the rise of Marxism, which is the next fatal step after socialism, and the dictatorial outcomes, is that result pointing to the perilous times Paul warned about in 2 Timothy 3.1. Is the abandonment of truth a sign that we are in the last days? Consider the rise in relativism, pluralism, syncretism, and dualism, and the downplaying and mockery of the biblical worldview. The massive rise of secularism within the Christian community has resulted in a very confusing syncretism of the scriptures with anti-biblical doctrines and philosophies. Is this one more evidence that the perilous times of 2 Timothy 3.1 is present? When considering that a former president of the United States made the statement 
that America is now in a post-Christian era, does that constitute that the world is now in perilous times? If yes, this points to the time when Jesus will return to take the church-age saints home with him to heaven. Is the government's initiative to implement a new digital clean currency, which gained significant traction during the COVID-19 pandemic, proof that the last days are upon us? Is a considerable, considerable rise in executive orders from the President of the United States, which circumvents the checks and balances for which the Constitution provided a sign of the last days? Does it move towards unilateral authority to make massive policy changes with catastrophic economic implications and consequences for the health and safety of the people constitute perilous times? Consider the broad use of what conservatives term fake news, which is the descriptive uh, or deceptive spinning of the truth by the liberal media. Does that constitute dangerous and perilous times? Does a significant change in technology and the massive increase in what is known as the information age constitute dangerous and perilous times? The massive increase of computers, the digitized world, social media, the internet, and the digital stronghold on power grids, industry, communication, the military, local, state, and federal security, and a plethora of other significant digital endeavors. Do these constitute perilous times? Does the current move toward digital currencies in the United States and the potential for a global currency constitute dangerous times? Consider the significant uptick uptick in implementing chips, not only in animals, but also in human beings. Digital implants are being are rapidly increasing in popularity. The implanted chips provide access to buildings, vending machines, various personal records, and many other things which no one has to carry keys or con cumbersome paperwork for. The Christian community must consider whether these and many other contemporary issues are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled and determine the appropriate response to what I suggest are the last days of the church age. When you draw your conclusions regarding these issues, consider the necessity of placing yourself on a heightened state of spiritual alert as you and your brothers and sisters in Christ carefully and deliberately don the appropriate spiritual armor as we daily and hourly enter the battle to not only keep spiritually sharp, but also use our influence as ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ in the most effective manner, 2 Corinthians 5.20. As the war between good and evil escalates, the Christian community during the final period of the last days, which are by biblical definition perilous and dangerous times, must renew its spiritual vigor to accomplish the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ to seek and to save those who are lost. <sighs> Tough, right? But that's where we are. I just, uh, this again, it just came out uh, a couple of weeks ago when I finished it, and that's, uh, that's just the introduction. <coughs> then we get into the meat. So, uh, but that's, that's where we're at today, folks. We are in uh, what I strongly believe are the last days of the church age. Uh, I'm not setting a date, but I'm saying it's got to be coming very, very soon. All right, uh, take your Bibles. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're just going to briefly look at some of these concepts. We're going about nine minutes left. These are, and I think I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll, we'll dissect a couple of these things. This is, the, this is the tenor of where we are at in society. It's where we're at in a world situation. 
And I, I, I try not to be negative on America because, boy, up until a couple of years ago, I mean, I'm, a, I'm still a flag-waving patriot. But my goodness, what's taken place in the last few years is so upsetting and disturbing uh, and totally antithetical to what America was built on that it is disturbing, and I have to be straightforward and honest about that. So let's look at, uh, uh, go to 2 Timothy 3 if you got your Bibles, and we'll just read the first five verses, and then we'll take a look at some of the concepts. All right, if I get to the right page, here we go. All right, 2 Timothy 3, 1, but know this, Christian, that in the last days perilous, dangerous times also can be stated seasons will come. And now he's going to describe 19 characteristics of what will be taking place, and I strongly believe are taking place and have been taking place for quite some time. Here it is. Men will be lovers of themselves. The narcissistic, have it your way, Burger King philosophy, and again, I'm not saying anything negative about Burger King. I always make that clear. But it's the narcissistic, all about me attitude that's taking place in our world today. Lovers of money. The love of money is what? Rid of all kinds of evil. Why do you think socialism is so popular? Because those, uh, and those of you that go to work and you work hard and some of you, the, uh, you say, well, man, I wish I could make more money. And then the socialist comes out and says, well, let's give out several trillion dollars in the last few years just to help folks through these tough times. Uh, did you ever, how many of you have a checkbook at home or an electronic checkbook, right? Now, what happens if you've got, uh, let's just make you rich for a while. Let's say you got $100,000 in your bank account, which, by the way, is way too much. But anyway, no. Uh, let's say you got $100,000 in your bank account. And uh, you just say, uh, well, you know, I'd, uh, I'd really like that uh, new yacht that I saw that, uh, you know, Donald Trump's got a beautiful yacht. I want one just like it. So you go out and go on credit and you spend a couple million dollars that you don't have. And uh, then your, your wife says, oh, you know, I like, uh, I like Mercedes and uh, uh, there's, a, there's a nice blue one I'm going to get for my hubby. I, I like the silver. I'll get one of those. So that's about a quarter million dollars down. And uh, she signs off on that. And you're now, you know, and then, you, then, you, then the bill comes. And uh, you, owe, uh, multi, you owe several million dollars that you don't have. Now, I know what all you do. You go, you go to your computer and uh, you... Uh, you get a first. You take out your cell phone and you get one. Of, you get the biggest bill that you got in your wallet, which is probably a ten. And you pull your ten dollar bill out and you make a picture of it. And then you go and uh, you take a picture and you crop it just right so it looks good. And you start printing ten dollar bills. And uh, pretty soon, man, you've got a you got two million dollars worth of paper sitting on your. It's like I got it. Here's the money. And uh, uh, you go to the creditor and you hand them your uh, printed money. What do they tell you to do? Go to jail and give me back my boat and my cars. Well, that's not what the government does. The government actually does go to the printing machine. They print the new money and they can't back it up. So every time they spend another trillion of your dollars that they do not have, what does it do to the country's debt issue? Just keeps raising it. So that's, that's the thing, lovers of money. And they keep saying, oh, you know, we're going to give you this, we're going to give you that. And uh, they're trying to do the tuition uh, bill thing and all. Where does that money come from, folks? 
If it's not there, it's not there. Which means you just keep what? You just keep going back to your little HP computer and keep making money that is backed up by nothing. That's exactly what's going to lead to the one world digital currency someday when America is bankrupt, other countries are bankrupt, and they'll be forced into complying with the Antichrist one world economy, which will take place in the second half of the tribulation, Revelation chapter 13, the last several verses. It, we're headed there. I mean, it's, it's just like, how can you not see this? They don't care. All right. Uh, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. Now, interesting, the word blasphemer here, and I just gave you the, the technical piece, but when you get down into the depths of what blaspheming talks about, it's not necessarily just blaspheming God. It's a concept, not only that we, and of course, saying negative things about God himself is blasphemy. It's wrong. It's, it's anti-God. But it's also being, uh, it's used in a societal sense. In other words, it's a cultural thing where we talk bad about others. It's negative about others. It's uh, just a demeaning all about me concept. And that's what all this is. Everything you look at here, it's all about me. What am I going to get? And that's exactly what's going to take place. Now, now think about this. And I'll just, I can't go any further. So I'm just going to close with this. Think about what's going to happen right after the rapture of the church. All of us are gone. I mean, this, our influence is gone. It's over. So now you're going to have, and of course we know from Revelation 7 and 14, 144,000 young male Jewish evangelists are going to be brought out and they're going to stop, start uh, evangelizing the world again. But the world's going to be in an absolute disgusting situation. You look at the first seal judgments in Revelation 6, horrible poverty, no money, no food, Everybody is in a horrible position across the world. It's all spelled out, Revelation 6. The Antichrist at the beginning of that tribulation period comes on the scene, and what is he going to do? Well, he's going to promise a whole lot of things. He's going to bring in a, a very, very short-lived peace to the world, if you will. People are going to fall in love with him. They're going to serve him. They're going to take his mark, except for those who's Names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and refuse to serve the Antichrist. The economy's gone. The food is gone. Wars are going on everywhere. It's a disaster. And we are setting the stage today for all those things to come to pass immediately after we're gone. Now, is it going to happen in our generation? Don't know. I get some people upset when I say this. It's like, you know, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus Christ left and he promised he's coming back again. For 2,000 years, Christians have been saying, man, this is the worst society we've ever lived in. It's bad, 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 bad. 2,000 years of that. Well, folks, it's more bad, bad English, it's more bad now than it's ever been. Just one last thought, and I don't, I, I wish I didn't have to go to this subject, but it so spells out the culture that we live in and the perilous times that we live in. When you read through Romans chapter 1 regarding God's wrath being poured out today, not this isn't talking about the tribulation, God's wrath is being poured out today and here's the results of that. God says when people turn to idolatry, he's going to give them over to a basically a debased mind. 
men with men working those things which are unseemly, woman with women. That's been going on for ages. So check the audience here. Homosexuality and lesbianism have been around since biblical times. Nothing new under the sun. And the Bible made it clear the closer we get to those when Christ is coming back, the more increase it will be. Can you tell me one place in Scripture that actually points out what's happening in society today? It's not just about those two issues. Now we've completely upturned everything to where not only is it men with men, it's men turning into women, women turning into men, and it's like their society has never in the history of the world been as debased as it is today. And you know why it is that way? Because we go back to verse 18 in Romans chapter 1, which says it's part of the wrath of God being poured poured out on this earth where people turn away from the truth and turn to a horrible, debased, defiled mind. So folks, I don't know that it can get a whole lot worse. And you say, well, what does that mean to you? It means look up because your redemption draws nigh. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. That's what it means to me. So what do we do? We keep looking up, as Jimmy Dion used to say when he closed every single broadcast. And as I, some of you have heard, I, I didn't get it at first. So Dr. DeYoung would, would say, well, let's just keep looking up until. And that was the end of the broadcast. Like, what in the world is he talking about? Keep looking up until. Until what? Well, of course, I got to know him rather personally. He was a great friend and mentor. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, oh, I get what he's talking about. You just keep looking up until Jesus Christ comes back to get you. Until that wonderful thing called the rapture takes place. So, folks, what do we keep doing? Don't get discouraged. Don't get upset. Don't say, oh, there's no hope for America. There's no hope for the world. Well, yeah, there is. Yes, there is. Number one, we keep preaching the gospel. Well, here's the conclusion. Number one, we keep preaching the gospel. Folks, we're entering into the most evangelistic time of the year at Christmas. I know there's a ton of folks sick right now, but boy, if you can make it to church, get your friends, get your neighbors, get the folks you work with, get your schoolmates, get them here. It's the best time of the year to win folks to Christ. So we keep doing that. Number two, don't get discouraged and upset. We understand you're not going to, I hate to tell you this, but you're not going to change the government. You just aren't. You aren't. The only way that's, that's going to happen is if an election happens and things massively change. So we can't change the government. It is what it is. Just as uh, the Roman government killed Jesus, that's their position on Christians today. So don't get discouraged about it. And then just keep looking up until. Father, thank you for your love for us. Lord, yes, we understand that uh, those who live godly in Christ Jesus will indeed suffer persecution. We understand that in the last days before you come back to receive us to yourself, that it's going to be perilous, dangerous times and seasons. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Even though uh, we go through some tough times, and um, not necessarily here in America, but definitely around the world, Lord, help us to stay firm in our beliefs. Help us not to waver. Help us not to be scared or to compromise. But help us to do what you've asked us to do, and that's to share the greatest news ever given to mankind, to share the gospel with other folks. Lord, that's the only hope for anyone on this earth. 
So, Father, dismiss us with your blessing. Thank for these dear folks. Pray for the many that have been sick the last few weeks that you would uh, heal them up, Lord, and allow us all to get back together as uh, we celebrate this wonderful, wonderful time of the first advent of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. So we commit that to you. Give us traveling mercies now, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great week. And if you can be back at 6, no condemnation.